All right. Good morning, Calvary Church. Uh, just glad to have you here today. And uh, all of that, as you saw there, just how we can be living free, living free for Christ, is really what we're going to be digging into over the course of between now and the end of August. This new series that we're starting called Live Free. We've done the series of Romans 1 through 11 to be set free, how we're set free by God. And then we're going into how we can then live free. How should we then live in light of all of that? And so we're starting this off today with this sermon on Romans 12, 1 through 2. That's what we're looking into and really digging into how do we live out God's will, right? That big question, right? That huge question of life of how do I know God's will? How do I figure out what God wants for me? Like that's a, a question that we would ask a lot. How do I know what God wants? How do I know what's good, acceptable, and perfect in his sight? And maybe you've asked some of these questions. You're at a certain life stage that's that's trying to decide, like, okay, what do I do with my life? Like, what do I do when I grow up? You know, how do I know how God wants me to spend my days? And I remember for me, like, in, in college and just the beginnings even of wondering, like, God, what do you want me to do? And there was a season when that was to be, like, a politician working in government. You can see that God was moving in some different ways, right? And so, like, we're seeking out what does God want? Or, or even maybe there's just uh, in, in different stages of our life, God, what decision should I make in this moment, right? And like, God, speak to me of what I should do. Should I confront this friend about this issue? Or should we buy this house or not? Or whatever that might be, right? So there's all these sorts of decisions that we make. And we want to be people who like do what God wants us to do, right? We want to do like, what, what does God want me to make? Like uh, of this decision in this moment, what am I supposed to do? God, what is your will? And so we're seeking that out. We're trying to figure that out. And I want to show us today, hopefully a way of thinking, a way of approaching this question that uh, maybe you thought of this, maybe you haven't. And maybe it's like a, a helpful approach to finding out God's will. And so we're in Romans 12, uh, 1 through 2. And, and you see that the very end of the last phrase of this uh, little chunk of scripture we're going to look at says this. It'll say a bunch of things, and it'll say, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, um, acceptable, and perfect, okay? So all of what we're going like, to look at and talk about is so that you may prove what the will of God is, okay? If you want the decisions that you make in life to prove God's will, to show God's will, to be according to God's will of that which is good, acceptable, perfect, all of that. Okay, well, then we'll look back and see then what does it say we should do. So we have some thoughts from that. And the first is uh, found from the very beginning of this passage, and it is that God's will is found in his mercies, in his gracious mercies. That it starts with, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, Okay, so Paul is saying, therefore, he's urging us to something by God's mercies. And now, what we want to see is just how God's mercies will kind of show us, the mercy, the grace that God gives us, show us a beginning to thinking about God's will. Now, one thing, and maybe you've heard this before, but even if somebody hasn't, this could be helpful, is whenever you read a passage of Scripture and you see the word, therefore, you always want to ask, what's the therefore 
therefore. Okay? Why does it say that? Why does it say therefore? So you're looking back to something, right? So he's saying, therefore, I urge you. Well, therefore, based on what? Well, first, let's look just uh, a few verses. If you've got your Bible, just look up a few verses to 1133. And it says, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So that God's ways are huge. You will not ever be able to figure them all out. They're unsearchable. They're unfathomable. They're just... God's ways are beyond our ways. So therefore, I'm going to urge you about this stuff, okay? But also, I think, that really this therefore, by the mercies of God, describes everything of Romans 1 through 11. So the whole set free series that we went through, looking at Romans 1 through 11, where we've looked at what is the gospel, where we've looked at at, uh, our sin and God's wrath, the wrath that we deserve, and then where it says God's love for us, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is given that would help guide us and give us power and strength to walk in God's ways and that this is all a free gift. We're set free as a free gift. You can't earn it. So in light of all of that, therefore I urge you by the mercies of God. Okay? So all of this is coming from that. And so the basis for kind of everything that we're going to be talking about is that foundation, okay? That we have been given mercy by God and every day that we live, every choice that we make is in light of God's incredible grace and the gift of salvation that he has given us. And so we are set free. And it's kind of like, you know, we've even had this imagery of a bird uh, and a bird in a cage that then has been set free. And that is us. We have been set free. And like a bird flying and soaring, and this is a pretty awesome, intense bird right here, right? Like just soaring over the world and and flying free. But you know, even this intense bird that's flying free is, uh, is going to fly through some storms. That this bird is going to encounter other maybe predators that are coming up and, and fighting against it. That this bird is going to build a nest and to start a family. That there's these things that are going to happen in this bird's life that aren't just all like easy now. Okay, now that we've been set free, there's still a sense of living free and that there are challenges inherent in living out that life that God has given us. And I think in a lot of ways, what we can, the way we can think of it is like we are more of a trained bird that we do fly free, but there's we always are going back to the voice of the master, the hand of the master, that, that sense of God is, you know, the one that helping us to do this sense of living free, that we want to hear from his voice. And so what's cool is in Romans 12 to 16, as we go through this, it's really a lot of, of the voice of the master of how you should then live free. How do you fly through this life? as this bird who has been set free. And so this is really a, a, I want to say, a reactive passage, okay? We're reacting to something that is taking place. Like, therefore, we do all this stuff because of all of that, okay? We love because he first loved us. We do these things because of him, that we are set free, not because we do these things, okay? But we do these things because we're set free. 
right? So that's the kind of life that we're living. And I think as we uh, remember that, that's a step towards understanding the will of God. Now, the next we find in the second half of verse 1. So he says, therefore, I urge you. What is he urging us to do? And uh, it's found right here in the second half. It says, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so in a way of just even phrasing it differently, God's will is found through surrendering your life to him. That we present our bodies, we surrender our lives to God. And as we do that, we become the kind of people who know and understand God's will. Now, this whole thing of a living and holy sacrifice is an interesting phrase, and it's probably on the surface hard for us to even realize that we don't understand it that well. Okay? Now, here's, here's why. A living and holy sacrifice The Roman people, they understood the word sacrifice, that the word sacrifice had very specific meaning to them. And it wasn't just like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give up a couple things and kind of work kind of harder. And that's going to be, you know, life's just got some sacrifices sometimes. No, no, no. Sacrifice equals death. Okay. Sacrifice was animals being killed. Right? That's the point. They, they would have known either from back in Jerusalem and the temple worship and that daily the animals are being killed in high seasons of, of feasts that maybe many, 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 many animals are being killed. Okay? That is what this was. And also, in being in Rome, that there are these places of worship to Roman and Greek gods where they would see animal sacrifice taking place. So for them, that sacrifice means animals being killed, right? And and so then to say a living sacrifice was for them just to be like, wait, what would he mean? No, there's not living sacrifice because when there's sacrifice, there's a death involved, okay? There has to be a death involved. And so this would have been very, uh, you know, intriguing language to them. It would have drawn them out. And hopefully I want it to get to where it's drawing you out a little bit to think of how are you a living sacrifice. Now there is still then a death involved. We are dying to our old self. We are dead to sin, alive in Christ, as it says back in Romans 6, that there is this sense of our old self dying, okay, and that we are living out a life of that old self dying, and we are living out the new self that God is making us to be. So we are presenting our bodies to God. Here is my body. Here is my life. Here's that physical aspect even of my life that I want to be living out the spiritual work that you're already doing inside of me. Okay? So when we think about God's will and we think of, okay, I got decisions I need to make and I want to figure that out and I'm doubting and I'm questioning, I'm struggling, I'm trying to figure out what, what does God want me to do? God's maybe saying like, stop trying to figure out that decision. God wants you to become a sort of, a certain kind of person in him. And as you become that sort of person, you're presenting your bodies as that living sacrifice you're becoming the kind of person that is then making decisions that are according to the will of God. So maybe stop trying to figure it out, but start more focusing on being a certain kind of person and then just make decisions because you're going to be making decisions that are more according to the will of God. But being a living sacrifice is still a messy, bloody process, okay? Sacrifice is messy. Sacrifice is bloody, Okay? Now, this is like that as we live free, as we live through that life of those challenges, those storms, whatever that we're coming up against, 
It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean we just got it all figured out. But we are constantly going through those processes to make us more of a living sacrifice. And then, even if we're still lost, if we're still confused, God gives us some great words just a couple chapters earlier. It's one page back in my Bible. Romans eight twenty six, where he says, In the same way... The Spirit also helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit himself prays for us to the Father with groanings too deep for words, and the Spirit is always going to pray according to the will of God, right? So, like, let's surrender that. Like, Spirit, pray for me to the Father and pray to God and ask him to help you with that when you are still confused. And so then, okay, so he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. This presenting your bodies as this living and holy sacrifice. This is your worship. Now, what is worship, right? Is worship... Singing these songs is worship attending a service and listening to a sermon is worship when you, you know, the decisions you make as you leave and how you live your life is worship your personal devotional time to God that you would have when you'd spend time with him is worship when you're gathered with a group of friends and you're sharing, you know, about your struggles in life and praying for each other. What's worship? Well, the answer is yes. Okay. All of that. All of that is worship. This Outside everything, everything you, you know, you do in the sense of the way you live your life, that is worship. And for these Romans, for them, just singing a couple songs, that wasn't worship. Yes, they did have singing as part of like worship elements at times, you know, for them in, in that day. But to them, really, worship was sacrifice. Worship was even like killing these animals, right? As sacrifice to God. And so what Paul's doing for them is Paul is redefining what worship looks like for Judaism. Okay, for them as these Jewish believers in God. That the way it was is that the temple, okay, the temple of God was the sacred space. And the killing of animals was the sacrifice. And then, you know, God's showing them, no, 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 now you are the sacred space and your life is the sacrifice, okay? That's all, and you got to realize, like, how much that might even just be something you know. That was something that was, everything is being changed, okay? Everything's being turned upside down for them. Like, wait, what? Really? Like, I'm the sacred space and my life is, is the sacrifice? That's crazy. That's a crazy thought. But even for us to just consider, how is the way that I'm living my life that living sacrifice to God? And in light of that, really, everything is sacred, right? There's this sense that everything is spiritual or has a spiritual effect in our lives. Like, whatever we're doing, what we're doing right now is spiritual. As you walk out, that's spiritual. As you get in your car and drive, that's spiritual. As you, you know, get home and you're, am I going to take a nap or am I going to do chores or what am I going to do, right? That's spiritual. Every decision, all of that affects us spiritually. It's all sacred. There's not this division as much as it was for them. And so for us, we want to consider our life and that everything we do, all of it matters. Everything, every moment. There's a quote from Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God. It says, he says, I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. God cares more about our response to his spirits leading today in this moment than about what we intend to do next year. In fact, the decisions we make next year 
will be profoundly affected by the degree to which we submit to the Spirit right now in today's decisions. It's easy to use the phrase God's will for my life as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. It's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. It's safer to commit to following him someday instead of this day. Okay, so that sense that it all matters, right? And as the way we live our life today will help us. You know, as we live each moment for God today, that helps us to be the kind of person that makes godly decisions according to the will of God next year, all right? So that's kind of like where I want us to think about how this surrendering of our life to God helps us to be able to discover God's will. And then the next part that we'll look at in the next part of this passage is that God's will is found by growing, growing into a more Christ-like person. And the way Paul describes that here in Romans 12, 2, the very beginning of it, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so here's the, the instruction that he has for us. So he's like, therefore, in light of all of that, I'm going to urge you to do this, to present your bodies as this living sacrifice. Well, here's some of how. Don't be conformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's, here's the how I want you to do that. And so it's really us growing into being a more Christ-like person. Now, how do we grow, right? How do we do this? How do we grow? He's got some thoughts for us. But what's interesting is that even here in this passage, there's some active roles that we have, like, initi- like actions that we actually initiate and do. But then there's more of a, even a seemingly passive, kind of a more receiving role that we have in our growth. That we're receiving from God. God's doing that work in our life. And so what we need to really consider and take seriously is what or who do we receive from? What are we open to receiving from? If we, are we open to being conformed by the world or to be, be transformed by God? And so that's a huge effect in how we grow. And this, this whole thing of don't be conformed to this world, I want to help give us like a, what I think of as like a more of a first century understanding of what it means to, to not be conformed to the world. And uh, part of that, I'll tell a story of, uh, we just went to Israel this last couple of weeks ago, a big group of us, and it was an amazing experience. And I want to, uh, like, what's cool about it too is it's not just seeing the sites where these things take place, where these great Bible stories take place, but it's also getting a, a better understanding of this first century culture and how they would have seen, you know, different, like the different writings that we would read now, how they would receive them. Now, uh, one thing that we would do is that you, we would go and we hang out in some areas, just like when you think about when Jesus was ministering, most of it was on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And these are just very simple villages where people would live, this, these Jewish people would live in these small villages. They'd either be fishing or, you know, like tending their crops or whatever that is. Very small villages and they would, um, you know, they, they didn't have, you got to remember, like there's not... Even, obviously, there's not technology, but there's just not much. Like, it's a very simple life. There's a small amount of people living in these simple homes, the family all together in just a few rooms, all gathered together, and there's this word insula or community, family, that that's what's most important. They would study God's word. God was central in the whole community, uh, the worship and, and growing in their knowledge of God, and even, uh, you know, they'd go 
and, and, and go to synagogue for worship and the reading of the Torah is the primary thing that matters in that, just hearing from God's word. And then at night, you know, just sort of hanging out as it begins to get dark and enjoy a, a meal and sharing stories, you know, from the older members of the community with the younger members of the family. And that's what life is like with God is central and simplicity, family, all of that. And then that person, let's say a teenage boy or girl, put yourself in the mind of a, of a teenage boy or girl in this culture, and then they have to leave their town of Capernaum, let's say, and they're walking down to Jerusalem for a, a feast season. And as they walk, they go by a city called Beit Shean, or that the Romans have called Scythopolis. Now, this the thing you have to remember is we study even here the book of Romans is Rome ruled the world, okay? Rome occupied the world and they were in charge. And they are trying to get everyone to buy into Rome's way of thinking, right? That, hey, Rome, we, Rome has something great for you to, you know, for you. We, we have something to offer you so much further beyond what your little podunk village has to offer you. And so this, this boy or girl would come along and to one of these cities of the Decapolis that Rome has built. And I have a, a video here to show you of our group putting themselves in that mind and approaching this city and kind of how they responded as well as just some teaching about it. So check it out. This is this Yeah. Ah, I knew it. Wow. Theater, gymnasium, arena, running water. This is Oh, wow. Wow. Welcome to Big Beyond. Scythopolis. This is it. This is Scythopolis, as it's also called. It has a theater, running water, you know, stores for shopping, uh, you know, these sorts of things. All these enticements and, and allures. Uh, these, these, like, uh, kind of the, remember the steam baths at Masada? You know, the, the bathhouse and all that. It has... Uh, toilets with running water, and uh, it's pretty incredible what you'll what you'll see. It's still pretty different than what we'd be used to. But uh, what you have here is these people that live that that simple life. That's why we wanted you to get in that mindset: the simple life of family, community, God as those core values of your way of living. But in has come Rome and has said, "Hey, we offer for you something." that we would say is better. We offer you something, you know, that, you know, when the scriptures talk about being lured and enticed away from God, this is something that would have lured and enticed those people away from God to entertainment, to uh, comforts, to, uh, you know, just a big party, right? Rather than family, well, or, or Orange County. <laughs> That's really what I'd want to say even more, but yes, Las Vegas. And... Uh, but we, we live in Beit Shean, right? That's where we live at home. We, we live in that, that land. And so the, the draw of compromise for us away from community, God, family is very real. And I think that this is a, 
uh, a very similar enticement and temptation for us of what this place has to offer. So I hope that helps you even to see these people from this little place. And I mean, this is a, this is a ruin from a couple thousand years ago that is still that huge and that well kept where people, where Rome is saying, hey, you live this kind of life. So when God says, don't be conformed to this world, this is what he's talking about. Don't be conformed to the Roman way of living. This life that has luxury, this life that has comfort, this life that has technology even, this life that is about entertainment and sports, all this stuff that, that Rome had to offer because Rome wanted you to follow Rome and worship Caesar and not worship God. So if I can make that feel good for you, that's what we're going to do, right? And, and it's all about power, though, and it's all about control, where I think for us what's crazy is we so much live in Rome, you know, or Beit Shean, that we don't even realize we've conformed. We don't even, re- like, notice that we've conformed to this world. But God says, remember what life is supposed to look like. Life is supposed to be about these core things of family, community, God, the scriptures, these sorts of, you know, work. And so then we're, we're lured away, we're enticed by the rest of that. And so hopefully that's helpful because we don't want to just stay in the, like, conformity that we are in. We're kind of like this, this beggar girl who marries a prince and she's become a princess Yet she still goes out at night to eat from the trash piles because that's the life that she always lived. You know, we've forgotten who we really are, that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the king of kings of the universe. There's this Biola prof who adopted some kids from Cambodia. And uh, these, these kids, they, they came to his home and, and they're part of his home, but every time they go to leave the house, they, the kids would pack up all their stuff. Like they, they had to take it all with them. Because they hadn't realized what it meant to be adopted. That that was their home now. That their life was different. And I think that is similar for us. We don't realize what it means to be part of God's kingdom. That no longer need to be conformed to the world. C.S. Lewis has an interesting quote, I think, about this. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So that's that conformity. We've become so easily pleased by the enticements of this world that we don't care about being transformed by God. But then that's what he says. He says, be transformed. I want to transform you. Now again, you don't transform yourself. God transforms you, okay? Be transformed. God will do that work. Now it's interesting because we want to try to transform ourselves. And now our, our efforts in this kind of end up looking foolish and can end up being strange. An analogy for this is skydiving, okay? Skydiving is awesome. I highly recommend it. It's an incredible thing. It's almost magical. Now, you might die, so it's just a little caution. But skydiving is is amazing. Now, 
The thing about skydiving, though, that you need is you need an airplane. You need a parachute, too. But, I mean, you could really skydive without it. But, like, you, you mostly need an airplane, okay? To survive, you need a parachute. But you, you need this airplane that will take you up into the sky, and you can jump out. Now, I could do all the things of skydiving right here. I could be like, okay, I'm going to jump. Whee! You know, like, I arch my back and you know, look around. And I, this is... This is what I did when I went skydiving, okay? Pretty much this, all right? But that's not skydiving, okay? It's ridiculous. Because we can't skydive on our own. We can't just, we can do all the movements. We can do everything right. But it's not skydiving unless you go up in a plane and jump out. There's a power that the plane has that we don't have. And so that's kind of even in this thing of being transformed by God. We're reacting and moving to what he's doing. We can't do it ourselves. But when God has that power and takes us to it, then we are moving or reacting to what he is already doing in our lives, as he's shown us in the scriptures, as well as the way that, that we see him working in the world today. So we are to be transformed by God. And now, <clears throat> how we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, okay? So this is the big thing that he has for us. Our mind is to be renewed. Okay, so what does that mean? How does our mind be renewed? Now, the renewing of our, our mind, the word for mind in the Greek is, what it means is it's practical reason, this place of moral consciousness, or the will. Okay? Our will. So it's interesting here where it goes on to say, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that your will, okay, your space for your morality, your, your, your reasoning in your life, that space needs to be renewed by God. And, and as that's being renewed, then you are a person that is more according, you know, making decisions more according to the will of God, because your will is being renewed. And this whole thing of the renewing of the mind is interesting. It's actually, like for the Roman people, that was uh, something that they would do is a phrase that would be used. Renewing your mind was part of this sort of Greek Hellenistic way of thinking of higher learning and higher thinking and, you know, that you'd be challenged by new thoughts and new people and that part of what you would do regularly is to renew your mind, kind of open yourself up to new ways of thinking. Now, there's good parts of this and bad parts of this. Like, we, I'm not talking about, like, just open your mind to whatever, just let whatever come in and that's okay, you know? Like, that's, I want you to hear when I say this, that's not what I'm talking about that there is significant truth and absolute truth in this however i think that this renewing of our mind or opening ourselves up to new ways of thinking is a lost art it is a lost virtue in our world today okay now i think that it's a lost virtue on both ends of the political spectrum let's say you know that basically we have this world that thinks you know, I need to surround myself only with people and listen only to people that agree with me in everything that I think. Like, uh, even, for example, right now, something going on out with there's some college campuses having people coming in to do commencement speeches. And then people are being, uh, well, like one, like Condoleezza Rice was supposed to speak at a, uh, at a college commencement. And the student body got all riled up because of her role in the invasion of Iraq over 10 years ago, and they didn't agree with that, so she can't speak on our campus. Now, 
I don't know about you, but I think that's ridiculous, okay? So, like, just this sense that we cannot hear from people who have a different point of view than us, or that, like, how is that learning at all anyways, you know what I'm saying? And so, what's interesting is that that's on one end of the spectrum, but it's very, very much a, a something on, on both ends. And I kind of call it sometimes MSNBC guy versus Fox News guy, okay? And so you've got, like, these opposing forces, you know, so to speak. But what happens is people will, MSNBC guy will only listen to the voices that are on that side. Fox News guy will only listen to the voices that are on that side. Everyone else that has any kind of, any kind of different voice is an idiot, right? Like, go on, if you, well, don't, but, like, you know, internet, like, discussions on, like, comments, it's like the world is just like just is wrong and destroyed it's scary right like it's just if you want to just find like the worst of humanity it's like internet commentary uh and so it's it's just true like and i think that this whole thing of civil discourse is just like this is lost it's gone because but god is saying to them that was something that they would want to do and they would want to open themselves to new way of thinking in that good way of learning and challenging and this back and forth. And that was good. And like they were, had a way of thinking that their mind needed to be renewed from. A way of thinking that was influenced by Rome and its culture, right? Well, we have a way of thinking even when we think we're thinking Christianly that is still influenced by our culture, Okay? Or what we watch on TV or who we listen to or whatever, on whatever end of the spectrum. Okay? But God's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not to the right news channel, but to the word of God and to what I have for you. Because they're probably all wrong at some level. And so I want you, your mind, to be focused on the things that my mind is about, that God cares about. And so that's how our mind should be renewed. Renewed into that. Not the things of this world, but the things of God. And the things that he shows us here. Now, I have a few scriptures even to show you that I think will help us with this. So just look on the screen and see some scriptures as it talks about our mind. Ephesians 2, 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So there's this whole thing where we often think of the indulgence of the flesh, but really here he's saying, hey, there's this indulgence of the mind even, that our minds are corrupted, our thoughts are corrupted. And then in Ephesians 4, just a couple chapters later, he says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So here again, like that, this concept of being renewed in our minds is not only in, the, in Romans 12, okay? That there's this way of our minds having the lusts of deceit. Deceit, lies that we think about ourselves for good or bad, you know? And, and the lusts that we have, have adopted in our mind needs to be renewed. Philippians 3 for many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping. So Paul's like really serious about this, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Okay, so for our minds to be focused on earthly things is a big way of that, is that 
our appetite is our God. Whatever we want, whatever we want to consume, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Just that, what I want is what matters, okay? That's setting our mind on earthly things. The next chapter in Philippians 4, though, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, of good repute, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's what we're supposed to be like spending our, the time of our mind and our reason and our will on, these sorts of things. And, you know, we don't have time to like go through each one of those and what they mean, but I encourage you to, to do that, like dig into what does that mean to focus on what's honorable and pure and lovely and all of that. And then Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is this awesome passage that I really would want you to, to dig into more. The first two verses are up here on the screen, but Colossians 3 says... Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Okay, and then it goes on, 1 through 17, it'll talk about some things like, uh, it's the things to, to, that are of this world. It says, put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Um, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things, lying to one another. And then it goes on into verse like 13, it says, uh, or 12 too, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiving each other. Like those are the sorts of things, okay? That, the things of the flesh and the things of God. And so set your mind on those things. That's what your mind is to be renewed to. So I encourage you to spend some time in Colossians 3 and, and just let that like soak in of how can my mind be renewed to this? But really, also, the renewing of our mind comes down to the work of the Holy Spirit. Asking the Holy Spirit to be working and transforming us. Changing our minds to have a mind of Christ. And it's, it's, it's a long process. James Houston says, the slowest moving thing in the universe is Christian growth. Okay? So it's like this sense that this is going to take time. You are going to be flying through those storms of life. But that, that renewal, that process, God is doing that work in you, and it is going to be a lifelong process. So if we want to know God's will, right? You want to know God's will for your life. What should I do? God, what's your will? You know, again, like this sort of a thought of God, where's the X on the treasure map? Like, I want to find the X. Help me find the X. Well, God says, no, no, become this kind of person. I'm transforming you into the kind of person that just knows where the X is. Because our, our hearts, our minds, are after the heart and mind of God. That's the, the heart and mind that God is developing in us. And then we will make those kind of decisions that follow what God's will would be. So again, it's less about knowing God's will, but being God's person. And so if, if you've got your notes, hopefully you do, um, pull, pull them out if you haven't already because you can actually use them now. But... Um, like, what you see on here is this little cloud chart thing, okay, on the back with worship. And I want us to consider your life as an act of worship, okay? So if worship of God is at the center of your life, then how can all of the rest of the, the parts of our life be worship, be that holy and living sacrifice? And how can you think through what parts of your life God is needing to renew or transform? And so even, like, I, I wrote on my little deal right here, uh, just some answers like how, how I treat my kids, how I love my wife, 
how I spend my money, how much I uh, pursue community over what for me is the comfort of isolation, how I consume entertainment, how I argue on Facebook, how I care for the lost and needy in my community, and how I lead the people I work with, you know? So, like, these areas, then, like, that's a life of worship, and then writing it down is one thing, but praying through God transform that part of me, transform and renew that part, you know, of me at work or of me with my family, whatever that is. And so that's what I want you to even spend some time right now just writing down, like write down some of those things that you can be praying through both today and just maybe on an ongoing basis of how God can be transforming and renewing that. So what I want you to do, if you don't have that paper, grab like the envelope or the card and a pen and just do your own thing somewhere. But just start processing this now. So go ahead. We're going to give you like a minute right now just to start writing those things down. Go for it. So as you can just continue to write, you continue to, to think of these things and kind of pray through these things even. You know, that it all matters, right? Every moment in our life is spiritual. Like, God wants to work in every moment of your life, from the mundane to the seemingly, like, very important and sacred. And so whatever that is, and what we see, and what we hear, and what we do, and our hands, and our feet, whatever that is, God is, wants to transform and renew that. So as we have a chance now, we're going to be able to worship through singing, one part of worship. And as we do, there'll be people available at the prayer points to pray for you if you want to pray through some of this. There's the stations around the room where you can come and and take communion and remember the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate death that, um, that happened through Christ giving himself over to be killed on that cross as we eat of the bread to represent his body given for us. We drink from the cup to remember his blood shed for us. We remember that he's the ultimate sacrifice. There's buckets at the stations as well where you can come to give of your offerings and to to worship God in that way. That's an act of worship, of being a living sacrifice. So let me pray for us as we continue to process how God is working and transforming and renewing us. Heavenly Father, we surrender all to you, God. Every aspect of our lives, every every moment, Lord, may you be transforming us, renewing us, protect us from being conformed to the world, God. We love you.